0: Maria and Galilee, as he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Friends, this is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The first words of this gospel passage serve as a reminder of where Jesus is going for most of Luke's gospel. Back in chapter 9, and then again in chapter 13, Luke simply states that Jesus is on a journey. This is referred to sometimes as the journey motif in the gospel of Luke, and it's kind of famous because Jesus is portrayed in Luke's gospel as on his way. He's going somewhere for most of the gospel. He knows that his time is limited and he is—he has set his face toward Jerusalem. He knows that he will eventually end up at the center stage in the religious and the political life of this part of the world. He will be arrested. He will be humiliated. He'll be tried. He'll be executed. And because we know the rest of the story... He's going to also rise from the tomb, alive again, having conquered evil and death and sin once and for all. But we aren't told exactly in his journey at this point. We're not told exactly where he is. It's somewhere between Samaria and Galilee, which is really a large area. And he enters an unnamed village. And he is approached by 10 people who have leprosy. What do we know about leprosy? For most of recorded history, leprosy has been a disease associated with a very negative social stigma. From reading the Bible, you might get the sense that the leprosy is basically a skin condition. It's, it's, there's a white Pottery flakiness that's, um, that appears. Leprosy is actually a long-term infection that um, if I tried to explain um, how it works, I would mess it up, so I'm not even going to try. But it can cause permanent damage to the skin, but also to the nerves and to the limbs and to the eyes. Actually, one of the characteristic symptoms of leprosy is the lack of ability to feel pain which is a major problem. Pain is The ability to feel pain is important. In reality, contrary to popular belief, while it is contagious, it's not highly contagious. And it's treatable. In fact, because of the development of uh, drugs for treatment, chronic cases of leprosy have decreased dramatically worldwide in the last 35 years. With... 16 million people having been cured in the last 20 years alone. That's incredible. And this is a recent development. But as you might imagine, in Jesus' day, leprosy was not only uh, untreatable, incurable, but also really a tragic disease. It's the worst possible thing really you could have happen to you because of the social stigma. It meant the end of your normal life. As a leper, you lost your place in your community. You lost your job. You probably also lost your family and your, your spouse. Everything was taken away from you. Basically, people with leprosy were, were robbed of everything. And whenever they came near other people, they're supposed to loudly announce their presence by yelling out, unclean, unclean. Anytime you came near anybody, you had to yell this out. Can you imagine living your life that way? That when you go to the store or you go um, downtown or you're anywhere in public, you have to yell out to everybody to warn them that you're nearby so they avoid you. Unclean, unclean. It's a horrible thing. So, Jesus is walking into this village, and ten people with leprosy approached him, but they also kind of kept their distance, and they called out to him, but instead of yelling unclean, they called out saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They had apparently heard that he was coming, and his reputation as a healer had preceded him. So, they we're hoping that he would be able to do something for them in their predicament. Now there's another story of Jesus and a man with leprosy recorded actually in all three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where he famously touches a leper and heals him. That's a different story. In this instance, recorded only in Luke, Jesus sees the ten lepers, at a distance, and he instructs them from a distance, saying that they go and show themselves to the priests. Now, there's only one reason you would go to show yourself to the priests if you're a leper, and that is to prove that you're being healed, that you're healed. So if you can imagine these ten lepers, they're walking along, and Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priests, and they go... Okay. So they turn and they start toward the priest, wherever the priest is. They know where the priests are. So they they go and they start going. And as they're walking, they start to notice that they're getting healed. What do you think that would be like for them? Just imagine walking in this group of ten lepers and the conversations that they would begin to start having. Hey, my, my, my sores on my hand are gone. Or, hey, did you feel that? I can feel pain in my arm for the first time. Wow! Can you imagine what it would be like? They would get so excited as they're going. I'm sure they just started kind of having a party on the way <laughs> to go see these priests. And then something happens. And this is where the story shifts. It's actually This is actually a story in two parts. The first part is about the ten lepers who are healed. But now, the second part is about this one who returns. Healed and grateful. Who was this guy? Well, it's not surprising, as students of Luke's gospel will tell you, that this man was was not only someone with leprosy, but he was also a Samaritan. Basically, from a Jewish perspective, he had two strikes against him. Not only was he a social outcast, but he was also a religious outcast. He, uh, But as also happens in the parable of the Good Samaritan, also from the Gospel of Luke, he's the one in the story who does what is right. So here you have a story With somebody who supposedly is a bad guy, who is an outcast, and he's the one who does the right thing. This is typical of the writer Luke. So Jesus asks him a question, and this is like a rhetorical question, you know, a a question that really, um, the the answer is assumed, you don't necessarily need to answer it out loud, And the the question is, were not ten healed? The answer is, of course, yes. Where are the nine? Is this outsider, this foreigner, the only one who would come back and give God glory? So remember that question. Then Jesus spoke to the Samaritan, the, the, the former leper, and he said two important things. First he says, "Get up and go on your way." And the second, "Your faith has healed and saved you." This expression, though the first thing he says, "Get up," is unusual because it's the same word to describe the resurrection of Jesus in the gospels. Anybody hearing this story in the early church would recognize this word used, get up. It's the word that is used to describe the resurrection of Jesus. And here is Jesus saying this to the newly healed man. Get up, anastas, get up. Enter your new life. Your faith has saved you. How many were healed that day? Ten, yeah. But from what Jesus says, how many were raised to new life and saved that day? Just one. And what made the difference? Gratitude. That's what sets this guy apart from the other nine, his gratitude. Folks, this morning, I want us to come to terms with how gratitude can make a huge difference in our lives. It's a difference that can only be compared with going from feeling dead to feeling alive. I mean, let's face it, for a lot of us, our very existence feels pretty dull most of the time. We go from day to day, from week to week, and it feels like slogging through the mud. But I'm convinced that it doesn't have to be like that. Some of you may have heard of the name of Ann Voskamp and her devotional book, One Thousand Gifts. How many of you have heard of Ann Voskamp and One Thousand Gifts? Oh yeah, a lot of you. Okay. It's it's sold well over a million copies. It's been translated into uh, 200 languages. It's It's a major book that has come out in the last several years. And in this book... Anne Voskamp describes the practice that she calls Eucharisteo, which is a, a transliteration of the Greek word for giving thanks. Eucharisteo means I give thanks. And actually, that word, Eucharisteo, is used in our text this morning when the leper thanked Jesus. that He, he came and he, he gave thanks, Eucharisteo. Voskamp suggests that doing this as a kind of aid to prayer, to make a list, perhaps, of 1,000 things for which you are grateful. And and, and I know some of you have have been doing this, and I've heard you talk about it, and it's life-changing. It has the potential to turn your experience around, This is what gratitude does. It's a change agent. And you can express it in various ways. Of course, in prayer, to thank God for what he has given, his many gifts. But also in giving, thanksgiving, by by giving an offering of your time by giving an offering of your talent or your treasure, your money, to God. For me, there is a voice that calls me to do this. And it's a voice that is saying, we're not ten healed, where are the other nine? I believe that Jesus is calling me, calling us, to Eucharisteo, to thanksgiving. My hope and my prayer is that we will become, here at Mountain View, that we will become more and more a grateful people that, who are not shy in our gratitude, but generous with it. Expressing it in worship as we, as we raise our hands to the, to the God from whom all blessings flow and say, thank you expressing gratitude in, in gifts of our time and in our talent as we, as we serve this community, as we serve one another, as we serve in mission here in Marysville and beyond, tirelessly and, and joyfully, gratefully. And also as we express our gratitude to God by giving back to Him out of the abundance with which He has blessed us. Do you do this? It's I hope you do. It's such an honor to be a joyful steward of our financial blessings. And it's, it's one of the most effective ways that we can answer that question that Jesus asks. Where are the other nine? To be able to say, here I am, Jesus. I'm here to thank you for everything you've done for me. I'm here to, to offer you my, my gift of thanks because you gave you're all to me. I'm willing to not hold back. I'm not ashamed this morning to tell you that, that Chris and I have, have given to God this way for the whole of our 38 years of married life. We have, we've had lean financial times. We've had times when we literally went month to month we had no guarantee that next month we were going to have enough to make it. But when I look back on how God has, has given to us, I can say from experience that you can't outgive God. Now, I'm not saying that the more you give, the more you get. No, it's not about that. I am saying that we have sought to simply. Be faithful to him by be giving at least 10% of our income back to him. The whole amount going to, directly to the church where we worship. We have never had a huge income. I mean, we've we've both our whole adult lives have worked for nonprofits. You don't make a whole bunch of money doing that. But God has taken really good care of us. All three of our daughters have graduated from college. And we were able to help them, not completely, but significantly. We have an amazing place to live. We have never lacked food. We've always had the clothes we need to wear. And as we look at our life, You know, partially because we have um, spent a significant amount of our time going to places like Africa, I can tell you that by world standards, we are extremely wealthy. God takes such good care of us. And we tithe as a way of saying thank you to God all of this. Do you? You know, if you don't, I truly believe that you're missing out on nothing short of life as it's meant to be lived. And I've gotten to the point that I almost can't imagine what it would be like not to live this way. This last week, I, you know, you, uh, most of you know I think that I, um, I'm a chaplain here in Marysville, so I'm, uh, I go when, when someone passes away, I go and I sit with a family right after that happens. I do this as a, on a regular basis. And I see all sorts of different families at the really the worst possible time in their lives. I see families who are people of faith when their loved one dies, even when it happens suddenly and they weren't expecting it, of course they're in shock. But there's something that holds them. There's like a foundation that holds them because they know that there's more to life than just um, this physical life we have on earth. There's something waiting for their loved one. There's an eternity and Jesus is waiting there. And that experience that they go through at that time in their life is so different than the family I met with this last week, who it was pretty clear they had no faith. And the tragedy of that moment and how hopeless they felt was just, it was difficult to even watch. I can't imagine. And in the same way, I can't imagine going through this life and thinking that everything that God has given us is by chance or based somehow on the hard work that I have done. Folks, it's not. It absolutely is not. Everything that we have is a gift. It didn't have to be. God made it happen. And it's such a joy to be able to give back to him. Can't imagine living any other way. So I say to you today what Jesus said to the leper that day. Get up. Live into your resurrection life. Express your gratitude to God by giving thanks. Your time, your talent, your treasure. as Eucharisteo, Thanksgiving. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, join me in prayer. I too